This podcast series is part of Hashtag Hour, a new grassroots project that brings together personal stories of all backgrounds to widen discussions on existing and important issues that are often silenced. Interested in the project or want to contribute to our work? Check out www.ourcontext.org. What does it mean to be the son of a white German father from Bavaria and a mother from Martinique? In this episode, Cedric shares with us what it was like growing up in Bavaria and Martinique, as well as his ongoing journey to better make sense of his identity. I'm Fumi, this is Hashigar Racism, and this is the story of Cedric. Cedric's father is a white German from Bavaria, a region in southeast Germany, and his mother is from Martinique, an island in the Caribbean that is in overseas territory of France. Cedric's mother is also a sociologist working on post-colonialism, or the study of the history and consequences of colonialism and imperialism. Cedric says that growing up as one of the only non-white children in a small village in Bavaria, his mother was there to guide him and help him better make sense of his experiences. In Germany, we have something that is very typical. I don't know if this is a common phenomenon in other countries, but when you get asked a question of, well, what's your name, etc., and then, like, where are you from? And, well, in the children's mind, well, you're from hometown, and you're, well, you're from Germany. But, uh, yeah, but where are you really from? Um, this is an issue that is uh, discussed in, uh, in the broader POC community in, in, in Germany, of course. But this is something that I have experienced very early on, not as a form of othering, but there was some curiosity. Why was I looking different than um, my peers in, in, in school? And also, I wouldn't fit in a category. I was not Turkish looking, even though I'm biracial. And then, well, I would say, well, my mom is from Martinique. That was usually a good answer to the curiosity of people. And then was kind of exposed to first forms of racism in school by kids singing songs that have the N-word in them around me, which I didn't really understand. And this was actually an episode that stands out and that I talk with my mom uh, from time to time, where I came home and I was deeply hurt, but I wouldn't say anything. And it took her a very long time to really get to the point of it. And then I mentioned that these classmates had sung this song to me. It's a very old song, usually not sung anymore. But um, what I think helped me and, and, and strengthened me was she then called all the parents of these kids and told them what happened. And not in a manner of accusing them, look, this is what you need to do, but in a manner of explaining, this is what your kids did and this is what it did to my kid. He's now, well, basically not talking, not eating. And he is hurt. And a lot of parents apparently also reacted with complete disbelief. They were like, ah, oh, we never told them that. And um, of course, we're not racist. And this is, uh, this is unacceptable. Which just showed that it came from a place also of not knowing. Not knowing better, I want to say. But something that was... In their minds, also not as bad, because it was just, oh, well, we're just singing, and this is, well, the awareness wasn't there as it is today. And yes, so the kids the next day apologized, and uh, I, I, 
I was still friends with some of them. I was very close friends at that time. So that's why probably it hurt me even more. So then after these things early on were clarified by my mom and where she helped me and then also well, she mentioned it and talked to me about this, that these are forms of racism that I should not accept and that I should stand up for, not necessarily in an aggressive manner, but this is something that you cannot let slide and that you can well, also probably teach a bunch of people who don't know this and who say it unknowingly or unconsciously. Cedric also spent some of his childhood in Martinique. There again, his mother would help him in navigating his surroundings. I was in Martinique, and this takes me back to my childhood. Early childhood being, I want to say, somewhat between the ages uh, one to eight, when I was actually in primary school. There, I was exposed to black kids only playing with black kids and white kids only playing with white kids, even in school. That was very strong, and it was very difficult to fit in, especially me being mixed. And... There, there were also mean comments, words being used. And there you could also just see it on the playground. You could really see it. There were areas where the white kids were playing. There were areas where the black kids were playing. We had a teacher, and then we were kind of talking about the history of Martinique. And there was one teacher who dared talk about the colonial past of Martinique and the racial segregation. On the pressure of those kids, uh, of those kids' parents, the teacher was fired at the end of the year. The school, and this was also a small fisherman village, fisher people village, I should say, is now increasingly becoming a white school because some parents of the black families are choosing to send their kids somewhere else. So there I could really see that things were different. I didn't understand what they meant. Um, there, again, my mom helped a lot and was teaching me of what things I could let slide and what not. Um, would also talk to those parents, explain to them that this is not okay. And there again, I also managed to have friends like both black and white, but that was uncommon. In that school specifically, that was not very common. So... I think these are early experiences and then again growing up also learning a bit more about my mom's studies having the discussions in which she's dealing with inherent systemic racism in Martinique which comes from you look at the at the leadership at all businesses at all um well Martinique is an overseas department so we have a prefect the préfet which uh, governs the city all of these people are white and usually come from the mainland France um we also have some old families, which are called the, the Biki, which are direct descendants of the colonial masters. They have something that to this day exists. It's called the Code Blanc, which is basically they don't recognize biracial kids and um, they only marry white people and ideally only within the old families. So these historic experiences are still very present and I see them. I think I'm more sensitive to them because of what my mother does. But you can see them. It is a society that is riddled with racism, that is riddled with shadism as well. Like, I would be better off in Martinique, for example, because I would be considered a mulatre, which is I'm lighter. I'm lighter skinned than others. 
And that already makes a difference because usually socioeconomically, you associate someone who's lighter skinned to someone who's better off in society. And they build their kind of own elite, socioeconomically speaking. Cedric would spend his high school years in Augsburg, a city in Bavaria. The school was not very diverse with Cedric being one of the few students of color. Cedric says he didn't really face problems of othering, but he does recall some conversations he had with his friends around issues of race. I had interesting talks with classmates where when I would relate to black issues, people would say, well, but you're not black or you're not that black. And then this was one of the first times I was confronted with uh, with questions of uh, shades and shadism, if that is the word, which I found interesting because I didn't know how to react to that. And it's, it's really years later, um, actually a, a few years ago, that I saw, I think it's on a TV show, it's called Blackish. There, the mom, the, the main character, she's also uh, biracial and she is also struggling to find her ways at some point between identifying as white or black or, well, is she then denying part of her identity because uh, one parent is white? And it's actually the white father in that character that says, well, When I walk with you, the decision whether you're white or black is not made by you or me, it's made by the others. Because they see me, a white father, or a white person, walking down the street with a black girl. And that is something that is quite powerful, and it hit me and also took me back to to those first experiences where I was like, well, exactly, It's it's the looks from others that tells me if I'm black or not. Regardless of how I, how I identify in the first moment when people see me, that's what they usually see. And um, those were some experiences that I've definitely, I want to say it, that I found quite interesting because, yes, it is. I don't know in which way my identity formed as saying I'm necessarily black or I'm necessarily white. In my daily life, that is not the question that I asked myself many times, because I was also very fortunate to be in environments where this didn't matter. This wasn't the question that came up a lot. But I, I, of course, when it comes to experiences of racism, I do have similar experiences than people of color, rather than someone who is obviously white, German-looking with the typical features. Cedric went to Montréal, Canada in high school for his exchange program. There, he says people ascribed a different identity to him. I noticed some things about myself where, especially in Canada, I I hung out with a lot of students from Africa, from African countries. So a lot of people from Benin, a lot of people from Ghana. There, they also had their own communities in Montreal that, that they found, which was interesting because I was hanging out with them a lot but I was also not really part of that because there I would stand out as there wasn't white, there I was German, which was also interesting because there I was, I was just acknowledged, oh yeah, he's a German kid, but he's not, well, he may look like some of us, but he's just, what made it easier then, because it's true, I was sometimes the German kid or sometimes the kid from Athens. If I could dance, well, it meant that clearly he doesn't have that from Germany. So uh, those are the the Caribbean genes. So just, I never fit in. 
And I think in my case, having the background that I have and having been taught about these things very early on, I was able to use that because I was able to navigate a lot of different communities without any issues and with ease. Throughout his life, Cedric grappled to make better sense of his identity. Recently, he identified a new part of him to which he had come to terms with, his regional Bavarian identity. There was one big thing that I needed to overcome and that I've only recently overcome was that this look from others and how I appear to be either German or non-German, whenever it fit the context, was discovering that I could live the part of me which is a Bavarian identity. People that know me will say that I'm not just classic German, I'm very Bavarian and I'm very proud. <laughs> I'm very proud Bavarian. However, as people know, the stereotype in Bavaria goes with the Lederhosen, with the traditional pants and, and, and suits. I did not touch them throughout my teens. And that was actually interesting. When I was working in Bavaria and they invited me to a meeting with colleagues, and it was about going to Oktoberfest. And my dad, being as well a very proud Bavarian, was like, My son is not going to Oktoberfest without having the proper well, Tracht, we call it. And that was weird because that was really the first time my dad was like, There's no way you're going in, in plain clothes. And I really. And I had a nice one. I still have it. I got very nice pants and the, the full equipment. And there was really my dad pushing me to be like, no, but you have that. And uh, you come from this family here. And um, of course, you're, you're, you're going to wear that. And being on the train, being at the Oktoberfest, you could see the confusion of people. At Oktoberfest, it's quite easy. You just slap some dindle on or some, some, some lederhosen. Any tourist does that, and it's, it's, it's all fun and giggles. But Bavarians are very traditionalist, and when they see the quality of the, the, the brand you have, and there are different types because the knots mean something, the, the belts mean something, etc., then they're like, oh, this is different. This is not just one that you bought in a supermarket. And some people would talk to me, which is obviously difficult for at Oktoberfest, so um, the tone is interesting, <laughs> to say politely. <laughs> but it took me a while to really embrace that part of my own identity and be able to wear that outside of Oktoberfest and to go to other closer village festivals where I would just wear it. And be like, this is me too, and this is how I look in it, and also kind of grow a thick skin of comets that you would get because at Oktoberfest you get them a lot less obviously because it's it's a six million people festival every year but there on on other sides you get back to the more is it a more raw form of racism or is it a more unknowing I guess it's it's uh, it's it's a bit of both where it's like yeah but how come and yeah, but where are you really from, again, to be wearing this? Like, who are you to be able to wear this without feeling that you're stealing some part of our tradition? And I'm like, no, but that's also my tradition, and it's, it's, it's a strong part of me. That is something that I've come to very late, and that I, I never 
that I didn't connect the dots before, so that this was something that had marked me. Well, I can be in, a, in an urban environment, and I think that's fine, but also in a more rural area where them and kind of assert myself as I am Bavarian too, and I'm wearing this, and this is for me not a costume. This is my traditional wear. This took me a long time. Cedric says that over the years, he found a way to live his many identities. I think I subconsciously adapted to the context in which I am. Or, well, it goes beyond that. I'm, I'm not just going to mention... I identify as someone who is, in many ways, very typically Bavarian, who has a very strong connection to Martinique. It is as much my, even though I don't mention it in, in many parts, but it is something that I relate to a lot, relate to very strongly, that has its own beautiful, fascinating culture that I never get tired of of, of, uh, of showing and, and, and telling people about. Those would be the easy answer. But then it really depends on how I would introduce myself. That absolutely depends on the context. I can be, hey, I'm I'm German, or I'm German and French, or I'm German and Martinique. And I very rarely say I'm German and French. That is something that recently I've made the distinction. I would then say I'm German and from Martinique. Because I haven't grown up in a... Well, if, if I have to mention any of this, I haven't grown up in a French culture like when i was in martinique it was a very traditional martinique culture that i i know the dances the songs the the, the food that that is different i mean it is an island that is eight thousand kilometers away from french mainland i didn't grow up to the same pop culture than someone who grew up in, in lille that is just very different so that's why i in later years have really made it a point of saying but i am also for Martinique. So I'm German and Martinique. That already often, especially if there are French people around, is a conversation starter. And not necessarily in a good way. Because then you're like, ah, yeah, but then you're French. And I'm like, yeah, but I'm not. And I mean, yes, on paper, and I do have the passport and all of these things, but then I ask them, like, but what do you know? What is, what is there from Martinique other than like a beautiful beach that you've seen on a picture? There's so much more to that. And Yes, that's why I usually, to make it very simple, if it's just like a fleeting context, I would just say I'm German. And then if people have questions about that, then <laughs> we can <laughs> we can uh, go with that. And, and uh, I've grown tired of, of, of laying out my life story because already in the German context, you have to do that enough when to, with the question of, ah, oh, but where do you come from? There's an, a very interesting debate on, on this in Germany where a lot of the majority society doesn't understand how this comes off as offensive. And you're like, well, it's not when it comes from a grandmother in a supermarket, but you just grow tired of it when you have to do it at every corner of the street. And then you're just like, just deal with it that we don't all look the same in the stereotypes that you have. Against his own experiences, Cedric shares his reflections on the relationship between stereotypes and racism. So I definitely think that there is a distinction for me personally between stereotypes and racism, just because I think as a human, I need some kind of pointers of what could be right. I mean, I'm, I'm, 
I like to be proven wrong, but like you know, to have some ideas. Like the stereotype, if I think of of Germany, for example, would be that they're very uptight and they're very um, correct and on time and all of these things. And I mean, I do think that it is true in some points and that this is not necessarily a negative thing of pointing that out. It just helps you globally have an idea. However, when it becomes a thing that is so stuck for you that then if someone falls out of this frame that you've built, then you're bordering on racism in the sense of then we're we're quickly turning into something, but you you don't fit into that. Therefore, either you don't exist, or you or you're wrong, or this doesn't work. Um, like a stereotype, if you don't know what you're going into, can help you kind of build this. But if you're using it to justify and classify a person after you've met, if I meet you and you're black and you know how to dance, then that for me doesn't mean anything. It just means that you know how to dance. But when it is then used to, oh, that is because of this, then that stereotype quickly becomes a problem for me as well. Cedric shares the following thoughts on discrimination and racism. I think there is a distinction to be made in what is systemic racism and what is discrimination. Because when you have these conversations, or when I have these conversations with my friends, my white friends, then you have this example of, oh, yes, I went to a bazaar in Morocco and like I was ripped off or I was singled out as the white person in the village in, in, in Nigeria where I was doing my one year helping these projects and there I was also singled out as being the white person as being this and that and yes I mean you're different you're, you're, you're the one person who stands out in a majority that doesn't look like you so you will visibly at the first point you will you will stick out but then look at the power structures. The global power structure is still in favor of you being a white person, of you being stuck in that country. You will have an, an embassy that is most likely able to get you out, most likely to get you home, to pay a ransom if you're kidnapped, or all of these things. So yes, this is dangerous for you, and yes, you will be discriminated against there, but this is not on the systemic level where others who are non-white, and I'm just and not just people of color, but who are non-white, they don't have the same, and I, I like the episodes that you had before where you were talking about privileges, they don't have that. They don't have the same privileges in a global context. So when you inherently have this in education where it is only taught one way, where you only learn about the majority that was there, and um, in the colonial past, or, or, or also in Germany, of course, the, the tragic histories of, of two world wars is, is very strong. But there's so much more to that which you don't learn about, and which kind of inherently sparks this racism because you're just not aware of it. Therefore, looking at racism, I like to look at it more globally, and, and you cannot, even though if people are tired of hearing it, detach it from colonial histories. For over 400 years, we have wired people everywhere in the world. And this not just, doesn't go just for black people. Everywhere in the world have been wired to think that they're inferior to white people. And the other way around, they have been taught that they are the superior race. That does something with a people. 
and I'm just talking very, very globally. So then it is difficult to break it down to the individual level. But then if someone doesn't understand, oh, racism and what it means, unfortunately, you have to open that big bracket because otherwise you will not see how this is. One thing is systemic and the other one is a discrimination that is very unfortunate and happens every day. Cedric has the following to say about what he thinks it takes to be anti-racist. I think for me, it takes the will of educating yourself and also doing your homework, not just asking. I mean, asking is always good. Usually when you don't know, go to a person, but like understand a bit of the history of it, because I think we talk about racism as if it just one day fell from the skies. It didn't. It grew and it grew very differently in different parts of the world. So I think when you're confronted with it, kind of do a quick Google search on it of where the tensions may may come from. And then also, of course, ask. What I personally don't like is people telling me what I'm not. Like, I, I have no problem with people telling me, oh, you're very Bavarian or you're very, like, from Martinique. I certainly am in, in different aspects of my life. But then to say I'm more or that, like, I'm more Bavarian than I am this, that is something for me to decide and determine and that I, I, I don't like. And so that's, I think, also more broadly the takeaway. I would say if you're anti-racist, you can recognize someone as being more parts than one and just respecting what the person says without saying, oh, but you're more this than that because that's how you feel the person is. If someone says, I'm, I'm this and that, and you have stereotypes that make you think that the person is actually does not fit that category, don't impose that on the person. Like the person probably knows why he or she or or, or they are saying that. Um, I'm tiptoeing around a bit because I don't like saying don't assume because I mean we're humans and at some point we see something and then we just naturally want to say it. So my point would be less than don't assume, but more don't impose your view of the other person on that person. And Yes, I mean, do take action, but like in, 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 in your circumstances, like we don't need people running around taking up different people's fights. Just understand it, support it, ask if you can get involved, because sometimes I do think that there is a position where there is no place for someone else to fight that fight. But ask if you can support, and then how, if it, if it is wanted and needed. You can find more information about racism in Martinique and Bavaria, as well as other articles, books and videos Cedric recommends people to take a look at on racism on our website, www.ourcontext.org. You can also find the transcript of this episode on our website in English, French, German and Italian. If you have a personal story to share, reach out to us on our website, Instagram or Twitter. You can find us by typing in hashtag our underscore racism. This is Fumi and Hashagar Racism. See you in two weeks. This episode was produced and edited by me, Fumi. Introductory score by Luca Nioi. Other music by Pete Morse, Crescent Music, and Fugu Vibes. 
A big thank you to Cedric for his invaluable time and energy in going down memory lane for us and sharing with us honest and important reflections on this issue.